Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 553 on Tuesday, the 21st of November, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be talking about one story that may soon require auto shenanigans to produce an update video. In new new car news, we talk about cars and some of the tech coming soon. And in points of interest, the lunchtime read is for all the Garys out there. <laughs> the first of two bits of follow-up. Once again, we are with follow-up. And once again, alas, it is British fault. But this time, it is because a former employee has served a statutory demand for their wages that they have not been paid. And the owners of British Vault Recharge Industries have 21 days for when it was served to pay the sum owed or the the employee has the right to take further legal action and pursue bankruptcy proceedings. This is according to an article in The Guardian, which will be linked in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, are we actually assuming that the, the chain has been pulled on British Vault? I would imagine it's going to be pretty hard to recover from this if at all, and nobody's going to trust them. They did actually make a bunch of employees redundant uh, when British Vault fell into bankruptcy and while it was under the control of administrators EY. Oh, right. Who are still waiting for the final payment Yeah, for the full $8.6 million to be paid. I'm sure they'll have been paid, though, because they always get paid. Other piece of follow-up. We talked the other week about Cruise, the General Motors autonomous self-driving traffic jams sorry cars in san francisco they had suspended all unsupervised car trips and unsupervised taxi services Uh, they've just suspended everything now at the same time the two founders have also either been requested that maybe they could be employed somewhere else or left of their own volition GM have cracked down. They've, it's typical GM, a little bit on the late side. They have rocked up, and there was originally a law firm retained to examine the response to the original accident. Uh, that has now been broadened to examining how the whole organization worked. The general counsel, the General Motors general counsel, pardon me, Craig Glidden, is coming in as chief administrative officer to oversee what's happening within Cruise and sort that out. There is a real, a real sort of crackdown going on and investigation into it. Or if there isn't a real investigation going into it, they're certainly making all the right noises and doing all the right kind of things to do that. It looks like basically the mothership is going, hey, you lot out there surfing, get in line. Well, astonishingly, because there's a timeline in, uh, there's going to be two articles linked. One will be the register that's got a timeline of things that have happened. Yep. And astonishingly, on November the 8th this year, mm-hmm. they created the role of Chief Safety Officer. By the way, just so that you know, that's November the 8th this year. Cruise Automation was founded in 2013 and acquired by General Motors in 2016. You would have kind of hoped that in the last seven years, at least, if not the full 10, someone would have thought about that perhaps unbelievable unbelievable oh by the way i just want a quick one uh the registers article says cruises cars are mid-sized suvs based on the chevrolet bolt uh the chevrolet bolt there is an suv version of the bolt but the one that it's actually based on is a b segment size hatchback yes fiesta thing isn't it it is it is a chevrolet bolt but it's it's fiesta yaris etc yeah 
I'm going to go into the new news now and take us to Sweden. Yay! Where Tesla is having a little bit of trouble. How Sweden do things is slightly different to the rest of the world. And what has been happening is for the last five years, 130 members of the Metalworkers Union have asked Tesla to sign a collective bargaining agreement, uh, which is what happens in Sweden. It's not that they have unions per se. It's mm. whilst they do, it, that's to help with the collective bargaining rather than how we would traditionally think of a union. Yes, there are agreements essentially between employers and employees about how they will act and all sorts of things like that. Imagine America, but the opposite. That's what you need to understand. <laughs> but what has happened is that Tesla, as they do as much as they can elsewhere in the world, they refuse to allow trade unions in their plants and in their, with their employees. On October the 27th, the 130 members uh, went on strike and they walked out uh, on seven workshops across the country. Which is, these are service workshops. Mm -hmm. What then happened is because of the way that the Swedish public react to this is other unions have come out in support. For example, the dock workers, they will not unload boats that arrive with Tesla vehicles, which means customers don't get them. I think they'll unload all the other vehicles. They just won't unload the Tesla ones. Well, that's what I mean. They won't. Un Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. They will not unload Tesla vehicles from boats that arrive. The cleaners have talked about how they will put down their mops and uh, cloths soon, and it means that no one will clean the Tesla shops. Postal workers have said they won't deliver post. It is just cascading now. The thing is that no politician is ever going to stand up to defend Tesla right at the minute. <laughs> That's the thing. But the, the reason that this is important, and this is important uh, not because it's Tesla, it could be any other car manufacturer in this case. What's important here, though, is that if there is an exception made for some unfathomable reason, then that causes a problem for the entire Swedish labor market mm. across all industries, across everything, absolutely everything. There is no way that they're going to let this be an exception. No. Because if they let it be an exception, other companies will come along and say, oh, well, we'll do it like Tesla. We're just going to, you know, you let Tesla do it. Yeah. And then there's going to be a significant breakdown in the way that Swedish companies and their workers interact. And obviously, people in Sweden don't want that. No. By the way, a precedent for this happening before was when Toys R Us tried to hire non unionized workers and do all of that. There was a three month strike by the store employees union. It turned into an all out boycott in just the same way as other unions joined in with sympathy strikes and eventually uh, Toys R Us agreed to sign collective agreements. Now, Jeffrey Incorporated, the company that formerly owned Toys R Us, was a particularly nasty company, not a very nice one at all to deal with in any way, shape or form. And this kind of activity managed to get the better of them. McDonald's also hit the same problem. I've seen a thread on what happened there. Yeah, it's the big American companies that generally have a history of not being great for employees. Mm. And not understanding local customers. Oh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. It's funny, actually, because 
Madonna's is generally pretty good at that kind of stuff, but yeah, but not this way. Anyway, moving on. Pictures this week of British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak pointing at potholes and going, "Goodness me, I can't feel those from my helicopter." Yes, it's going to be very difficult with the next couple of articles for us not to be a little bit political in what we say. It's pretty much an impossibility, I'm afraid. What he was actually pointing out was going, some of the £8.3 billion saved from HS2 is going in that pothole, and some of the £8.3 billion from the scaled-back HS2 is going in that pothole. The government are replacing infrastructure that won't wear out for hundreds of years' investment with uh, shorter-term road investment. And I know that as a motoring car podcast, we're meant to go the other way and say, oh, cars are great and rails not. That's a whole other story. Uh, supposedly, though, this £8.3 billion is enough to surface over 5,000 miles of roads and will be allocated to councils across the country for projects over the next 11 years. To put that into context, there's a link to a thread by a chap called Paul Lomax. Uh, he's pointing out, quite rightly, that the UK has 262,300 miles of paved roads and that over 100,000 miles uh, will need resurfacing over the next 15 years. 37,000 in the next five years. And what the government's talking about there is 5,000 over 11 years, just to put it into context. Each local authority is going to receive about £150 million, followed by a further £150 million for 2024-2025. Then the rest of the funding is allocated through to 2034, unless it becomes deallocated, of course. The majority has been allocated for those in the northwest, northeast, Yorkshire and Humber. 3.3 billion, 2.2 billion for the West Midlands and East Midlands, 2.8 billion for the East of England, Southeast, Southwest, and for the first time in eight years, London. One thing to mention there, whilst it sounds like all the numbers to the north, the areas covered and the types of road are very different across Englandshire. Mm-hmm. Do be aware that different amounts go different distances in different places. Admittedly, it will go the shortest distance in London. Oh, it should be great for us drivers as well, because these well-maintained road services could save drivers up to £440 each in expensive vehicle repairs, helping motorists keep more of the cash in their pockets. Was there anything I missed in that one, Andrew? You've been very quiet. No, I'm just trying to keep my anger in check. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, good. Throwing cash at a problem they've caused, you know, great. <laughs> just through underfunding. Continuous reduction in funding. Because as we have said since we started this, it appears no politician, no matter what flavour, seems to understand how important infrastructure is. Beggars believe. No, no, no. But it's, it's always the next person's problem. And that's why here in the US you have bridges falling down on interstates. Mm. It is the way that the government has been treating infrastructure over the last few years. If you continue on that path, you end up here, you know, in Boston, there's, there's been no investment in the, the T, the metro train system, underground infrastructure. And as a result, you can walk faster than the darn trains in many places mm. because the tracks are so uneven. And they're, they're desperately trying to play catch up and fix it here. Which just costs more and more. <laughs> it costs more and more. It disrupts the service. So people don't use the service because it's disrupted and it's knock on effect. Whereas constant maintenance would have avoided all of that. But hey, mm-hmm. What do we know, huh? I will move on now to the UK government once again, discussing how many billions they're going to throw at something. Where is this magic money tree, by the way? Well, 
I was wondering that is, because is this all the savings from HS2? Because this this the part of the problem I have with these two articles, and I know we desperately try not to be political on this show because there's so much tedium out there. We don't want to add to things. Yeah. But at the last budget that was announced, all the really bad stuff was being put back to 2025. Yeah. So that it made the next couple of years look not so dreadful. Would that possibly be because of an impending general election? One may suggest that that is possibly what the reason is. Just checking I haven't been out of the country too long. Anything that talks about long-term investment, I struggle to believe. Yeah. Because where is it coming from? Yes, quite. Anyway, EV ecosystem. The government has said that they are going to invest $2 billion into the EV ecosystem and the auto industry to help support the manufacturer supply chain and development of zero emission vehicles. <sighs> see, this problem again, I see I can't get beyond. It, the, my problem with this is this just seems to be throwing money at something. There is no plan. There, there does not appear to be a plan or a strategy. It is just, yeah. oh, let's look like we're doing something. I, and I'm getting increasingly frustrated with this sort of stuff. Yeah, here's money, here's a headline. What I want to know is what what is the ultimate? I mean, you can go, ooh, 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 self-driving cars. Okay, maybe it's a sub-part of a strategy. Maybe it's an objective that you're trying to aim and hit for. I want to know what this is leading towards. I want to know that the aim is to have X amount of vehicle output in the UK. I want to know that there's a target that we're aiming for to say we're going to make this many vehicles. We're going to have this much of our GDP is going to be from the automotive industry in 10 years' time. I want that kind of smart indicator, some kind of KPI there that we're aiming for, not we're going to give this much money and then there'd be nothing, nothing more than that. And we're not the only people to have been having this rant, it seems. Even, was it, you were saying the industry select... The Business and Trade Committee, uh, Houses of Parliament Committee. Select Committee. Yeah, they put the boot in saying whilst investment is good. And don't get me wrong, it is great to see that the politicians have remembered the auto industry exists because we banged on for so long and you poor listeners had to listen to us bang on for so long mm -hmm. saying, can any politicians please hear the SMMT? Yeah, They are desperately calling for some help. So it's great that they remember this exists and they are putting some money towards it. But as the Business and Trade Select Committee mentioned, Where's the industrial strategy? There is no industrial strategy. Still, all you're doing is throwing, as Alan said there, you're just throwing cash at a headline and going, right, well, that's us fixed that then, hasn't it? And you haven't. Mm -hmm. You've not helped, really. You've done the shortest of short-term stuff. Yeah. And what happens is it, it's the whole British vault thing, to be honest. That was there and there was, a, there was meant to be a strategy when they weren't hitting the targets in the strategy. The funding was pulled and Every single thing about that looks like it was the right thing to have done, sadly. Yeah. Anyway, should we get off our high horse for a minute? Yeah, let's let's move on to something a bit different, a bit better. <laughs> Why don't you take us to the US? <laughs> uh, well, that's convenient because that's where I happen to be. Yeah, here in the US, Amazon is going to start selling Hyundai cars straight from its website. Not immediately, not until uh, next year. But this is quite a big move. Amazon for a long time said, well, it wants to be the, the everything store. But I think it's quite curious that they've teamed up with Hyundai for this. Hyundai dealers in the US have a terrible reputation, really. The cars don't. People like the cars. 
But the dealers have a terrible reputation because they started from the pilot high sell cheap, sell this unknown brand point of view. And in many cases, they've not necessarily moved on from that. Anything like EVs, nobody around here wants to buy EVs. We were only going to sell internal combustion engine vehicles. I remember that obviously in the US as well, traditionally, you go to the dealer, you buy what is on the dealer's lot. You do not mm. order and wait. The dealers order what the dealer thinks is going to sell and shift quickly. There is nearly zero appetite for anything that is interesting and different and may hang around for a while. The idea is to get that churn, which is why so many cars here are silver, gray, and black and white, because that's completely and totally inoffensive. Oh, they didn't have a Quentin Wilson moment then. Uh, they didn't, because theirs has all been governed by the salesman and whoever it is that orders the stock for the, the dealerships who only care about the handover. Now, they can't even blame Quentin Wilson for this one uh, <laughs> over here. <laughs> the other thing is, yeah, the, the dealer, the customer service is, is known to be not good. Mm. This is a way of getting around that. That, and I'm sure many of you have heard me ranting about the, the fact that the, the biggest issue I have over here, and I've sort of made my peace with it because you can't be angry all the time, is the fact that nothing is ever the cost that it says it's going to be. Mm. It's always that, plus this, plus this, plus all this stuff that you really don't want that they're going to try and sell you. Try and insist is in part of the car because they've covered it in wax or something. Well, that's interesting because Amazon said they are going to sell online from dealers. Mm. How that final price yeah. will be shown will be interesting how they work that out it will be especially as the fact that it is almost impossible to find out the cost of a vehicle online but whether it's new or used if you go to any dealer website you've always got to click through give a whole load of information they still won't tell you and then someone might phone you with the price which is inconvenient and also you don't want every single dealer phoning and emailing you all the time no that's going to be interesting uh, the other thing of course was that hyundai previously had uh, the last couple of years has said, you know, no adding on to the cost of prices, no thing. And the dealers are just going, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. And then just whacked on market adjustments uh, left, right, and center as they decide to. Uh, also, what was announced in there is that Hyundai will be adding Alexa to their cars as well from 2024 or 2020, no, 25, sorry, right. into new cars from 2025. Well, I think. Uh, <clears throat> Whilst many of this domestic technology is becoming ubiquitous in cars, and you think, why do you want that? I think we can think about at least one German manufacturer that we'll probably mention a bit later on, and what happens when you try to do it all in-house when it's not really one of your key skills. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right, I'm going to take us to Merseyside, and this is the news that they too have started to use AI and I've nearly dislocated my fingers oh, doing air quotes God, there. I'm so sick of everything being called AI. To detect the driving offences of not wearing a seatbelt or using your mobile phone at the wheel with your hand. What happens is that there is a lower down camera that picks out whether the seatbelt is there or whether someone's holding a phone close to their ear or visible. And then there is a higher camera that looks down at a steeper angle to see if somebody's sort of got their phone down by the bottom of the steering wheel and actually texting with it or something like that. I've asked this uh, in public. I've asked this on LinkedIn. I've asked this of safety experts, but nobody has yet replied. 
My issue with this is because what happens is, and we, we've talked about this before because they've been using it in, I think I want to say Devon and Cornwall. I think so, yeah. I'm sure that was the police force that was using it elsewhere, mm. is that the system through image recognition, which is all this is, it isn't AI, everybody, please. Yeah, please Before stop. And Alan really gets very cross about this. It is image recognition. It's that's all it is. It's not AI. We don't have to slap AI on anything that it has an algorithm or runs software. But it's so trendy, and there's all that money which isn't being invested in self-driving cars anymore. <laughs> we can hope. Hmm. Uh, the system flags up an image and passes it on to be double-checked by humans, then going to the police to be reviewed. Hmm. Who then? notify the driver that they're going to get prosecuted in this system that we're automating things we have in fact added another layer of human checks i know it's a bit farcical but the question i ask the question i've asked and no one has ever answered is what is the rate of false positives because somebody's time is spent checking that the image that the system has highlighted is actually valid of further investigation or looks like it is somebody not wearing seatbelt or is mm. holding their phone and talking into it or is texting. And no one answers that because we could be wasting so much money mm -hmm. on someone spending a lot of time going, yeah, I had a hundred of these and I had to throw back 97 of them because they were not correct. Yeah. Yeah, but at this stage, everyone's just going to say, "But it'll get better over time." So the, it's an investment now. That's what that's that's what the tosh the feedback will will be on that. But yes, I, I agree completely on that one. What what is the actual success rate of this kind of technology, mm. which is not AI? <sighs> Shall we end the first part though on something a bit more positive for a change? Yes, going to have a new motorway junction. The only reason this is notable is that the new motorway junction was built in 2020 on the M49 and <laughs> hasn't been used. It is literally a motorway junction which doesn't go anywhere. It has a very cool local road built into it, which looks like a hilarious fun to try. It's not like they've made the Nordschleife ring or one, one of the carousels. <laughs> yeah, have you seen it where it goes through right round, then it goes yeah. follows the main road and then loops out on the other side to join what looks like it probably was a Roman road once? Well, it says, the planning committee said that the road was never completed due to unforeseen circumstances, but left it as vague as that. Well, in 2020, there were quite a lot of unforeseen circumstances. It cost over £40 million to build. It's between Seven Beach and Chittening, and it was intended to be Junction 1 of the M49. The thing is that it doesn't link anything. And people are saying, well, why doesn't it link stuff? Because there are large facilities from Amazon, Tesco, Royal Mail, and others nearby opening up Junction. Could and should divert much of their traffic this way instead of onto other roads. It would take all the weight off the A403. Yeah. Even then, the link road is expected to take another 12 months to complete. £7 million worth of funding from the Department of Transport. I imagine part of the thing was a freeze on new road building, and in order for this to be of any use, it needs a new road. Yes. <laughs> it needs to actually connect to anything. I mean, it, yeah. the, the picture in the, on the BBC News article that's linked in the show notes, that 
looking off into the distance, I can see 7 million at least just going to that local small village town. <laughs> so I, I don't know where all the funding is coming from. Looking at the layout, I think that all the busyness is actually towards, you know, coming towards the camera and off to the bottom right of the photo. The link to the photo and story in the show notes and on the BBC website. Yep. End of the first part. That means uh, that, as you ever, it is Guilt Minute, the quick break-in show, where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the Motoring Podcast worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player. To receive every show as they're released, done by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very much indeed, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you everyone that does. Very, very much appreciated. You could even recommend us if you haven't done any of the other things I mentioned. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I will now take us into new, new car news, and I will start with the new Subaru Forester, which, as this article points out from Car, sells not many in the UK, but it was revealed in LA where they do sell, because it's America, an awful lot of them. Millions and millions, literally millions and millions. Do you have no idea how many cars Subaru can sell until you come to New England? <laughs> you know how you never see the Subaru XV? It's the opposite here. I will pass double digits of them on my way to the office shortly. Well, the Subaru Forester it says it's new, but it just does look like it's more of a glorified facelift. It is a very heavy facelift. It is not new. It still retains the same gawky proportions uh, as it has done for many years. Yeah, I mean, it's a full on SUV now. By UK standards, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, there will be, if you're in the UK, there is no confirmation of all the details yet of when it's coming, but it is expected to be the hybrid version, mm -hmm. the full hybrid version when it comes here. Whereas in America, they stick with the 2.5 litre flat four boxer, which will produce 180 brake horsepower and 178 pound foot of torques. You can make it produce more. It's just a, it's a bit wet, to be honest. And that's mm -hmm. through a CVT as well. Although I like the Subaru CVT, that engine felt okay in a Crosstrek slash XV, but I imagine the Boxer, it'll be a bit like stirring Trico. Depends on which CVT they've gone for as well. Have they gone for the fake gear change one that was in the XV in the UK, or have they just gone for the one that we tried in the, I want to say, Outback? It was in the Outback. I don't think it does fake gears. I think it can do, but in under normal modes, it doesn't. From memory yeah. of Yannick, so, so, so yeah. If you need to go properly off-road and you need a mid-sized, reasonably priced, it's going to be about 40k SUV, basically, if you live out in the wilds of Wales or Scotland. Or New Hampshire. Or Northern England. Then here is an SUV to have a look at, certainly, uh, and put on your uh, potential shopping list. In, in the US, they come with, you're probably going to cut this. In the US, they come with, with one of two, they seem to come with two separate sticker packs. One of which is the Pride flag uh, and all of that stuff. And the other one is the Thin Blue Line pack. And depending on your, uh, depending on your political preference, you, you apply whichever one is, is required. Uh, I saw one with a whole <laughs> load of, basically a whole load of guns listed uh, in the back window. 
Uh, nice. only, yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. Two very different customer bases, but they both buy them. <laughs> okay, do you want to take us away from America now then? Uh, yes, although uh, this was revealed at Polestar's Polestar Day in Los Angeles. And this is the new flagship, or the forthcoming flagship Polestar, the Polestar 5. Polestar 5 is a Taycan slash Tesla Model S rival. Uh, so it is a big saloony thing. And the idea is that it's going to be built in a new scalable architecture, a bespoke to Polestar at the minute, and it's all been engineered in the UK. Yay! It's a big, smooth saloon car that looks like a Tesla Model S crossed with the new generation of Prius crossed with a Polestar. I like mm. it. I really like it. I think it looks great. One of the things they're saying is that the new rapid charging technology allows for 100 miles of range to be added in just five minutes without degrading the life of the battery. Um, it's called Extreme Fast Charging. Is a collaboration between Polestar and a company called StoreDot. Yes. It's originally pioneered on mobile phones. I'm curious to know just where you would find the chargers, though. That's that's the thing. It's it's what it's capable of doing and what will be possible in reality may be slightly different. But, you know, 5 puts out 874 brake horsepower, 663 pound-foot of torque through two electric motors giving four-wheel drive, 800 volt electric architecture and the rear motor alone produces 604 horsepower as i say i think it looks great very interested in this the pictures forgetting that it's white so that doesn't help it in in any shape or form there are gray ones as well in the pictures Mm. too but some angles the the pictures are taken from you go oh yeah okay that's not too bad and then others you go my word that's massive or that's a huge bulky bit of the car the problem is all these electric saloons tend to look fairly similar because they are trying to do the same thing, which is run for as long as possible, be as efficient as possible through the air. So there is only so much look-wise that can happen, mm. <laughs> really. Great, it's a saloon. It's not an SUV. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. More of that, please. Uh, Moving on, Porsche. Yes. Adding Google to its cars as Volkswagen software problems worsen, says The Verge. This is the kind of news that has moved from the motoring press into the tech press as well. Mm. A sports car maker said it would use native Google apps in its future cars starting in just two years. The plan is to adopt the Android apps, uh, let them do over-the-air software updates, and have a sort of Google-based native system, at least until Carrier version 3 comes along which may or may not work yeah they have to prove that porsche made it very clear you're gonna have to prove that you work porsche remember been caught out by other developments in the past at uh, volkswagen and at audi and have had to quite literally pay the price over dieselgate i imagine that this is one of the reasons why they go no 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 no, no. we got caught up in your last mess up uh, we don't yeah. want this to happen again we can't have you delaying our car launches no exactly not I will now take us to Toyota because, uh, and finalizing the new car news with the last bit of tech, Toyota is going to begin the steer-by-wire production in 2024 that will come to the BZ4X, I really do wish they would sort their naming out, and the Lexus RZ electric vehicles. This is a tweak on what was previously announced because it's going to have a 200-degree 
ratio instead of 150, so it will mm-hmm. feel a lot more natural. We're linking to an Autocar article which explains all the technical details of what's happening. Embedded in the article is also a quick video showing it being used by one of the test drivers, Autocar test drivers, to show the one motion grip system. And it's not a euphemism. <laughs> That's the system that takes advantage of the fact that you don't turn it as far as you would a normal steering wheel that is mechanically connected to the wheels. Uh, And it sort of interprets the difference between how far you turn to what that actually means on the wheels. And not just how far you turn, but how sharply you turn, how quickly you turn, all that kind of stuff will all have a bearing on it. Yep. And speed and where you are and all that kind of fun stuff. Lots of this almost exists already with some of the variable racks and that kind of thing. And I imagine they'll be engineering it to feel an awful lot like that. Yeah. I like all the Jajaro style steering wheel mounted controls things, by the way, because that's me. (laughs) To note, though, I only discovered this through reading this article, but legislation means that they cannot do, in Europe and the UK, you cannot do over-the-air updates to the steering Mm -hmm. uh, system, which is good to see. Right and proper. Do you want to take us into points of interest? Yes, absolutely. And starting off this week with the lunchtime read, this is a good, this is a good chunky read this week, I'm afraid, folks. Well, no, I'm not afraid because it's excellent. I was going to include it anyway, and then someone said, you should include this. Doubled up on that. Uh, and this is a piece by Adrian Clark on the Autopian entitled, The Escort Cosworth is a legendary rally machine that's hiding a big secret. And it's all about the history of the styling, the derivation of how the Escort Cosworth came about and how different it is from an Escort, any other Escort. Well worth a read. Loads of pictures I hadn't seen before. Loads of insight. Just a really good lunchtime read story. Uh, Recommend you, you, you have a read of that. It almost seems like old school lunchtime read. That one. Yes, yeah. The Autopian is so good at the long form stuff that just about everyone else has given up on, which is a shame. Mm. I mean, it's not a shame that they're good at it. It's a shame that everyone else has given up on it. Yes, we all we all got that. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah just just well worth <laughs> worth saying. <laughs> all right, this is going to be the list of the week and Autocar slideshow. Good luck, everybody. I've just managed to get mine trapped on a Mercedes-Benz picture when all it's showing me is the commentary for a Ford coupe. Okay. Um, But this is the hero cars of the 1980s, but do you agree? And when we were talking beforehand, Alan and I do not agree with everything that's been picked. I mean, there are 41 slides. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just some some stuff I think is looked at now through rose-tinted spectacles when it was unimportant and just not part of the scene at the time Mm. well have you got one that stands out for the right reasons well i was going to scroll through and try and remind myself what i'd chosen but i can't give me a moment i'm going to choose oh no so many i know whilst we say that we don't agree with everything there is a small number that we don't agree with to give you an idea of the things we don't agree with for example the lamborghini jalpa Mm. was an aside nobody cared about it we all cared about the contact that was the one on the wall. The Jalpa was like that other thing Lamborghini makes, but nobody cared about it. Um, I'm going to go for the BMW Z1 because the BMW Z1 should always be, should, should, it's up there with the McLaren F1. It's the one you should choose if it's in a list. And frankly, there are so many other ones. I, I, it, 
slide down doors, BMW E30, 325i chassis. Uh, what's to dislike? Love it. Yeah. Love it. Loads of loads of great ones. I mean, Andrew, do you have a choice from there? Because there is a good... Oh, yeah, well, I mean, it, it's really tricky because it's... I'm I'm trying to balance out what is my what is something I think is ace compared to what is a hero car though, and having to use the title of the list. I think for me, a hero car would be the Lexus LS400 because of what that car did to the market, but also what it did for the company. It was the first one, wasn't it? But it wasn't a bust. Is what I, it, mm. it, yeah, no, absolutely it not. put a solid foundation down that there is an alternative to the Germans and the, you know, the Jaguar and the Daimler mm-hmm. at the time. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, loads of other great cars in there, by the way. Loads yep. of really great ones. Uh, we've almost been a little bit conservative in our in our choices, and as I say, some others which you'd look at and go, "Okay, I get it," but at the time, nobody cared. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to the and finally, and this week's and finally. Uh, once again, we're talking about the Hot Wheels Legends Tour because it always gives some nice light amusement, and this time it's announcing the winner. And the winner is from New Zealand. It is a 1990 Mazda MX-5. Well, some of it is a 1990 Mazda MX-5. Named Chimera. When you first glance at this, you go, oh, it's another modified MX-5. That's lots of bits and pieces have been stuck onto Mark 1 MX-5. And then the closer you look, you notice that it's been really quite well done. In fact, it's been really very well done. And there's lots of really clever detailing on it. Mm. and lots of really neat things uh, so it's well worth a browse through the picture we've got a link to the top gear article in the show notes just having a look through and do look at the details in the pictures yeah because this is what lots of mark one mx5s want to be yes <laughs> when their owners grow up <laughs> when when they, when they- <laughs> When there are, I mean, there are still, but you know, there are still breed seats and breed uh, door cards and all sorts of stuff inside. But there's also all sorts of sort of, sort of end of days dystopian fun stuff in there as well. There is a lot of fun in this build, yes, as well as stuff like the rear fin with the camera in the end of it being a very serious piece of carbon fiber fabrication. Yeah, I can see why it won. I don't know that I would have chosen it over some of the others. Mm. But this is very good from a lot of different perspectives. So I can yep. see how it I can see how it won. I really can, and I, I think it's a worthy winner. Yes, absolutely. One piece of parish notes this week. Because of stuff, uh, we will be recording on Monday next week. So the show will be a day earlier than normal. PRs, if you could bear that in mind, please, and get some stuff to release on the Friday, some news released on the Friday or on the Sunday, <laughs> that would really be appreciated. There's a yes. reason we release on a t- we record on the Tuesday. Yes, uh, next week, day earlier than normal. Of course, reminders will come out on the Sunday evenings for the people for whom that is relevant. Nothing else to say? Nope, that's, I think that's it for this week. 
Okay, then it's time for me to remind you that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts on the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Good news only, of course. <laughs> best way to get in touch with me is via Mastodon or Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. Now, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? It is via Blue Sky or Twitter or Basic or Mastodon or whatever of the of the social medias available to grown-ups that you wish. In all cases, uh, my username is at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back sooner than normal. <laughs> but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.